Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast. Two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast about Deep Space Nine. I'm Anna Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Kind of garbled your own name there, buddy. You would think after 200 episodes you would know how to do it. It doesn't ever get any easier, Ben, to say my (laughs) own name in public. You mean like a surgeon losing a patient on the table? Yeah. It never gets any easier? Yeah. I I just pound my fists into the microphone. Yeah. This is our 200th episode. I don't believe this. There's so many things that I can't believe about this dumb show, Ben. (laughs) You know what? I I guess it wouldn't have surprised me if we made it to 200 in relative obscurity. Right. Maybe the most surprising thing is we've had over 7 million downloads of this show in that amount of time. It's crazy, and we're like we went to a one a week model, which uh, pretty much saved the show. I, I will say the stress of making it two times a week was was killing us softly, right? Um, and going to one a week was a big deal. But uh, I, th- I I was doing the math. It looks like we've basically doubled the number of downloads per episode since this time last year. Which is crazy. It's nice to know that there are so many people who think about things the way we do. Yeah, yeah. I think for a long time, uh, like growing up and through adolescence and into college and then after college, you know, uh, at least for me, I thought I thought about this stuff uh, in a way that no one else did. Right. And I'm really glad that I uh, that I became friends with you and realized that uh, there are others of us out there. We're not the only two. There, there were a lot of uh, missed opportunities to connect with people in my past because of my shame. <laughs> missed opportunities. The Ben Harrison story. Yeah. No, truly. Um, we got a letter in the Drunk Shimoda Gmail this morning from a guy who, you know, I, I don't want to go into a ton of detail, but, you know, he said he had been going through a really hard time last year and uh, we you know, happened to talk about something that really dovetailed with the hard time he was going through and he went and got the help he needed. And, um, you know, that's like a kind of letter I don't think either of us ever expected to get for this show. <laughs> like it's such a, it's such a silly comedy show. And the the fact that, um, it has been more than that to people is still an idea that like, makes me lightheaded thinking about that it that it means anything to anyone else is it feels like playing with house money you know it fills me with gratitude that that anyone out there is is listening to us at all let alone uh supporting what we do i think like we get called really awful shit on the internet and it is uh it at times can be a real fucking bummer and uh and things really snap into focus when when we get messages like the one we got this morning, that was like, that stuff really does not matter at yeah. all. Yeah, you know, it's it's a symptom of making something that gets out to a wide audience, you know? Inevitably, there's one or two people where something sticks in their craw. And that's not to say that we, like, can't handle any constructive feedback. I mean, we, we take that all the time. And uh, I think the show has gotten better because people have given us... Uh, a heads up that something we said was hurtful in a way that we didn't realize or didn't intend, and we made corrections on that. Um, but like being called a Nazi is a fun, weird surprise. Yeah, we get called we get called cucks and Nazis. So yeah, we've got we got it coming from from both sides. <laughs> <laughs> Whose side are these people on? Yeah, but. Uh, I think uh, I think we owe so much to the friends of DeSoto. You know, like the the thing that has made this show successful is that a group of people, you know, really came together around it and formed amazing friendships and uh, amazing communities. And 
and uh, that's something that uh, I feel lucky about every day. The fact that there's just like a really big positive group of people out there, like laughing at the same stuff we think is funny and playing along and yes anding the jokes and making art and music and the secret Shimoda gift exchange during the holidays. Like there's so much cool yeah, stuff. The Valentine's. Yeah. yeah the, all that. It's a real treat and uh we we do it for you guys. It's pretty awesome that a an area of the internet has been carved out for being nice and silly and good. Yeah. Because that is not a common thing. Yeah. So uh, this one's for you guys. Episode 200. Dedicated to the fans. I don't believe this. This episode of uh, Deep Space Nine is dedicated to uh, abandoning ship, I guess. (laughs) As we get into season two, episode three, The Siege. Do you realize how incredible this is? No, of course you don't. This scene starts in a really unintentionally funny way, Ben, and I'm wondering if you laughed as hard as I did. In the, They're kind of having a, like a stand-up McLaughlin group in ops. Issue one. Yeah. And they're kind of going over why they're doing what they're doing. Like, Cisco's giving them the rah-rah speech about, some of us have to stay behind. We've got so many relationships he's built here over the years. Like Lieutenant Belecki here is engaged to a young man from Bejo. And this other person over here, who I've never met. Vincent Kelly's daughter worked together with a young Bajoran girl on a prize-winning science fair project. I want to know more about how that engaged guy is feeling about having the equivalency drawn between his his serious relationship and science fair guy. <laughs> what the fuck, Cisco? Maybe, maybe don't bring up the science fair. This guy poured baking soda and vinegar in the top of a paper mache volcano. <laughs> Yeah. And he gets he gets the same big ups as me? All of us who have served on the station for the past year have made Bajoran friends. <laughs> yeah, Cisco gest- gestures to grown-up Jay Gordon and his radishes. <laughs> like, that's as significant as this guy's, uh, this guy's budding relationship. I planted radishes in the special dirt, and they came up all weird. Bajoran radishes are uh, almost indistinguishable from... Uh, radishes from earth they just wear elaborate earrings right (laughs) very commendable yeah these are this is like a whole bunch of starfleets we've also never seen before um which is which is like one of those things where we've speculated about how many starfleets actually are on the station this maybe is like the biggest gathering of them no lieutenant toast lieutenant george primen starfleet security He was not one of the brave few that stuck around. <laughs> I'm really missing Toast right now. Yeah. Would have been nice to see him. They're really beating us over the head about how inextricable the Bajoran Federation relationship is at this point. And the one storyline where I really saw it in full relief was the whole O'Brien befriending a Bajoran engineer and that engineer ending up uh, trying to assassinate a religious leader. Yeah. I almost felt like if I were to reorder the eps the way that uh, that an album is sequenced in songs, mm-hmm. I might have pushed this episode or this episode of three further up so that it rode right on the back of that. Yeah. It feels like too much time has passed to really feel the uh, the intimacy of, of that relationship, you know? I dig that. We cut to a scene with uh, O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. And Keiko arguing about the idea that O'Brien has chosen to stay too. I don't have any choice. Don't you? Sort of out of allegiance to uh, the rest of his comrades and his hatred of the Cardis. Yeah, he's like, he's like, listen, Toots, when you married me, you knew this job comes first. We can't just let the Cardis have the wormhole. They can have the whole Gamma Quadrant for all I care. I think that Keiko's right. <laughs> Like, what is O'Brien going to do here that can't be done by somebody else that doesn't have a family? When they separate the Enterprise D, when they're fighting the Borgs or whatever, you don't see half the crew leave with their families. Right. You've got to stay and do your duty. This scene would make more sense if Sisko had, like, looked O'Brien in the eye and said, I need you here for this. 
You yeah, know. that it was made into a choice rather than the duty that it truly is. I think that think that would have rang more true. Right. Well, it just speaks to how broken O'Brien's relationship with Keiko is. <laughs> you know, that's mm-hmm. the thing we keep coming back to. Like Keiko is right, but this is uh, O'Brien living his truth. Maybe they're they're just going. They're separating and going to multiple spots. Right. That are taking in the refugees, but yeah. there's not like one main other starbase that they're going to. No, and that's part it's of like, the tension too, right? It's yeah, like, Nog and Jake are getting split up. They're they're yeah. on different different uh, runabouts going to different places and they're bummed out about that because they think they might never see each other again. Just when I think I found a new home, made a new friend, it always seems like I gotta leave. They uh, they have a strange awareness of of themselves in the third person, right? They're like there's never been a friendship between Ferengi and human before. That's, that's why we'll always be best friends. I never thought of my youthful friendships in that way. Right. It's oddly alien aware of them in the way that like modern children uh, form friendships irrespective of race and don't really care about race in the same way as olds do. Right. It's a little strange to see this depicted by, by future kids. Right. Who I would assume to be post-alien race. We did have enough episodes in the last season of, you know, those two kids getting scolded for hanging out with each other because the other one's race is a bad influence. Yeah. So maybe that's a zap that has been put on them by the adults. It's that, uh, it's you know, nobody's born racist. It's their parents that teach them. Ben, when Nog attempted uh, French... Did uh, <laughs> did that get you excited? And if our fathers couldn't break us up, no stupid coup de coup 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 de coup d'état. It's French. Well, no stupid French thing will either. Did get me excited, Adam. I I sort of wondered where you would, where you would go with that. I mean, I can't think of a of a go to French joke that we use on this show. I wonder if his teeth get in the way. Like, is that a problem? Is that why his French sucks so bad? No, actually, French people have pointy little teeth like that. The idea that Quark is selling seats on runabouts should surprise no one. Yeah, Quark attempts to set up kind of a stub hub of runabout evacuation slots because they've got a very limited... It's like like the uh, Seahawks-Patriots Super Bowl. There's a limited number of seats... And a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of people are trying to sell them and brokers get in there and sell tickets based on the idea that the price will drop closer to the big day and they'll be able to scoop up tickets. I love that uh, that your knowledge of sports is such that you did not choose the Super Bowl example of the most recent Super Bowl, but yeah. instead one from a couple years ago. I listened to that Planet Money podcast about how the the did you hear about this? How the like how the ticket the aftermarket ticket uh, market collapsed and like a bunch of companies wound up having to pay like millions and millions of dollars to people that they had sold tickets to, but that they didn't actually have tickets for oh good like, yeah fuck those guys there's a bunch of seahawks fans that got left out in the cold yeah is a ticket system really the way to do this evacuation <laughs> <laughs> this is what surprised me most i thought i thought the 24th century would be post ticket i mean it's an economics problem right you've got a limited resource and a large demand for it like how do you how do you pick? Yeah. Unclear. I mean, and like, and like they have to get Lee Nellis to go down there and do like a really grandiloquent speech convincing all the Bajorans to stick around because they are much less likely to be killed by the Bajoran xenophobes that are on their way to the station. Deep Space Nine has never been really good at either telling us or showing us how many people are stationed on board it seems to be about three runabouts worth maybe a little bit more that's what i'm saying like i think star trek has always done a pretty good job of giving us that idea like we we knew on the enterprise d that there was roughly a thousand crew on that ship right like we always knew that Mm -hmm. and and 85 percent of them were small children right we were we were shown as well as told but we are neither shown nor told on DS9, and so we're left to just sort of guess by 
Yeah. By using the metric of how many runabouts does it take to evacuate? Weird. Yeah. And like, you know, guessing from the fact that they crowded a bunch of ladies who are just coming from the Ren Fair into one of the airlocks. So Jake's one of the evacuees, and uh, and Cisco has a moment with him. He's like, "Look, son, I've got my last will and testament on this thumb drive here. <laughs> don't watch it too soon. Like, why don't you save it for the event of my death?" I'll read it as soon as I get on the ship. Wait a while. It's so weird that he, that he understands it's a will, but I don't think Jake does. This is that uh, this is that Jack Crusher holodeck program, you know? Right. Like, this is not going to be fun. <laughs> It's it's just eight hours of Ben Cisco hugging him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it would be. Jake, if you're watching this, I'm dead. I'm uh, really sorry that I wasn't there to see you grow up. Uh, if there's one message I want to leave you with, it's that you should probably think about looking at a different type of pant because the kind of pant you do wear is problematic w slash r slash t nuck jake uh our relationship has been built on a foundation of physical affection between father and son it's a thing that that i've tried my best to show you over the years and now that i'm not here i've needed to find a a substitute for me something that can provide you (laughs) with the physical comfort that i will no longer be able to and uh (laughs) I want you to visit the mail stop where I've left you a very important package uh, sent to me by Kevin Uxbridge. (laughs) Jake. (laughs) I'm a creature of special conscience that your father has retained to create one of the most perverse real dolls I've ever been asked to produce in my career. Most of my work involves real dolls for the discriminating client whose needs are so sexually perverse (laughs) that they are not legal in this or any other galaxy. (laughs) However, your father has requested a real doll of himself that does not perform any sexual acts whatsoever. I had to retool my entire factory in order to construct him. In many ways, it reminds me of my first such creation, Rashan, who (laughs) was a cold woman who spurned my every advance. (laughs) But unlike Rashan, I made this doll while your father was still alive. It's something that I, a man who has destroyed an entire sentient race, found so disturbing. I'm considering leaving the business for good. Ben Shishko came to visit me on Delta Rana 4, <laughs> where, where much like, much like a dentist taking impressions of someone's teeth <laughs> show too I slathered his entire body with a thick muddling glue in order to in order to get his measurements precise it was easier to subdue him because he stepped in one of the lawn traps that I routinely <laughs> set on my property Jake it is very important that once you receive my shipment that you let the real Shishko's batteries run down completely before recharging again <laughs> And if uh, if you have any technical problems, it's obviously covered. Just take it into the Uxbridge store and talk to one of the Uxbridge geniuses. They're a little bit <laughs> condescending, but they're happy to help you with almost any problem. So basically, after the break, it's it's tumbleweeds on Deep Space Nine. And it's like the core group that's left behind. Quark didn't get off because Rom burned him. And right. uh, Quark did not have the technology of rolly bag, so he couldn't move through the station fast enough with his sack-o, uh, sack-o-latinum. Right. His sack lats <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they, uh, they all kind of like squirrel away in the in the duct work of the station and when the Bajoran commandos show up it's just no resistance at all Minister Jaro's prediction was correct 
The Federation has tucked its tail between its legs. You know, peaceable Bajoran Ren goers wandering around on the promenade. And whoa, Stephen Weber is one of them. Yeah. He's, uh, he's one of the guys that boards the station with this party. A real that guy. He's Colonel Day Canu. <laughs> is he now? <laughs> His name is Day. So before the crew goes to hide out in, uh, in the ductwork, uh, a plan is hatched by Kira. Kira's like, look, we've got, we've got these pre-warp ships squirreled around uh, the system. And Lee Nallis is like, oh, yeah, I know where one of those is. Yeah, it's on one of these moons. Uh, it might be something that you want to use to go and visit Bajor and, uh, and, and get this, uh, this Cardassian weapons shipment information down there to people who can do something about it. Right, and because the, the, the bad guys have, like, cut off contact with the station. So they've got all this evidence about what the Circle and Minister Jero and everybody are up to, but they, they can't actually put it in the hands of people who can make decisions because the uh, the transmissions are getting jammed. So the only way it's going to get to Bajor is if if somebody takes it there in person. And uh, that's not something that the Circle is likely to uh, take lying down, you know? And uh, that person's is Kira and Dax, who visit the moon of Halloween Superstore <laughs> and like hack through a bunch of spider webs to find this fucking jalopy of a shuttle. Yeah. This this thing looks like it is a parade float. And if you're wondering like which float has the most flowers in it, this one is among the winners there. They get inside and Kira pulls the panel shut and it's like it's floppy. And yeah. it's and it's and it's like a got a grid lattice in it. Like it looks like it's breathable. Are you sure this thing is supposed to fly? Oh, I've been in a lot worse. It's very Millennium Falcon where they're constantly like bashing a, you know, bashing a bulkhead and getting getting a computer to do what it's supposed to do. Right. And uh, I guess Dax is here because she conveniently has a previous host who was good at uh, en- engineering on shitty spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> That's convenient, right? Sure is. Her character is a real writer's room Swiss Army knife, you know? Yeah. Like, do we need someone to do a thing? Write it into her backstory. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I, almost wonder, like, how easy it is to keep track of something like that. Like, oh, shit, we accidentally wrote nine previous <laughs> hosts for her because we just really needed her to be able to, like, do karate in this episode. This has got to be a hard show to write for in that way because you know people are paying such close attention to all these things. Yeah. That to get something wrong would mean just an onslaught. <laughs> Yeah, we certainly hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Back on the station, there is a fairly pronounced tension between uh, Colonel Day and General Krim, who we met uh, in the last episode. He's the guy that Cisco gave the information to on the surface without asking for anything in return. And uh, I didn't want to do any research, Ben, but this Krim guy looked so familiar to me. I looked him up. He's played by Stephen Macht. And one thing about Stephen Macht is that he was considered for the part of Picard. TNG, can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He's he's definitely yeah. a that guy. Yeah. A uh, good actor, but uh, I think he's in his place, you know? Yeah. He's in the right place. Yeah. Patrick Stewart made the role of Picard so iconic that it's it's really challenging to imagine anybody else in it. So they're sowing the seeds of tension in front of us right away. Uh, they don't necessarily agree on course or action, and they're frustrated by the idea that they're in this station, and Colonel Day is positive that it's deserted. And when uh, Jaro gets on the screen, and Colonel Day is like, there, there's no one here, we got the station, everything's cool. Colonel Day is, Jaro- is, a, is a fun character, because he's so cocksure, and he's so excited to to lick Jaro's ass in a way that General Krim is not. Krim seems like the only professional operating on this mission, which is part of skipping to the end what makes what happens to him so tragic. Like, he's doing the will of his government, 
He's doing the best he can with the information he's got. And he's being undermined by Colonel Day, and he's being overmined by uh, by Jero. <laughs> yeah, he's a real Rambo character where he's being asked to do something. Photographs? Just photographs. And he goes and does it and then gets treated like dirt when he comes back. He's not in a good place. No. And, uh, and you know who else isn't in a good place is the is the squirreled away DS9 crew who, who've remained yeah. in the in the Jeffries tubes. O'Brien is just going to town on these MREs, which <laughs> which disgusts everyone around him. <laughs> I'm not gonna eat that shit. I love him. When you go camping you want to put the task of, of food acquisition in the hands of someone who actually cares about the quality of the food. Right. Otherwise you're just gonna be eating like macaroni and cheese with unreconstituted dried peas in it. Right, exactly. You can eat well, even when you're eating away from home. And O'Brien got hooked on MREs uh, while he was fighting the Cardis. And I guess he's gone full flashback. Like, <laughs> it's the one thing that puts him in the Cardi fighting frame of mind. And I guess he's eating like, it's like a haggis flavored RX bar. Like, <laughs> it's just totally wrecking everyone else. Timed release formula of all the nutrients the body needs for three days. This is the Soylent dream uh, depicted before Soylent was ever a thing. Eating once every three days sounds a little sad, though. Yeah, that's the problem with Soylent. <laughs> Eating food is an important part of the act of being a social animal. The, the joy of being alive, even. Right. We are not computers as much as tech bros wish we were. Three egg whites, 14 peanuts, and sheep stomach. <laughs> Delicious. That's, that's O'Brien is the wharf of this era of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> so they got to get out of these tubes, Ben. They've got to use the element of surprise. Because they're going to get gassed out, right? Like they pick up some comm signal. Yeah. That uh, that, that anesthesine gas is a coming. Yeah. O'Brien says like, that's smart. I, I might have thought of that. And it's like, come on, O'Brien. We know that you might have thought of that because somebody else thought of that on the Enterprise when you were stationed there. Hey, you know what else would have been a great thought? Bringing some DS9 branded gas masks into the <laughs> tubes, huh? Yeah. You're in space. What are the chances you guys have respirators available to you? Give me a break. Maybe they just didn't have enough time. Like they spent a lot of time evacuating the people and they didn't they didn't accommodate the idea of needing to get some some uh EVA suits together. Someone should just look at O'Brien after his comment and be like, If you thought of it, why didn't you think to bring gas masks, you fucking asshole? <laughs> O'Brien's sort of ruining the camp out, isn't he? Right. He's the guy that brought a guitar. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Highway run. <laughs> <laughs> so what do they do? They, they, they drop out of the tunnels as the gas starts flying, and they get the jump on, uh, on the Bajorans, on the Bajoran security team, and they do a bunch of Star Trek fighting. Odo turns himself into a tripwire. Yeah. So I guess I guess he's making like home alone traps now. I like that it's I like that it's like a it's clearly like a specific tripwire that somebody yeah. designed and not just a string of Odo goo across the across the hallway. It could have been goo. He doesn't have to go full tripwire. Right. But in, he's got pride, you know. He's he's he 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 wants to depict a, like an RF9 Bajoran issue tripwire. <laughs> He should have turned himself into a bear trap. <laughs> what happens if Odo gets somebody's blood on him? Does it like get incorporated? There are so many cool things that the T-1000 was able to do that Odo just doesn't think to do. Yeah. Eventually, I think there's an episode of just him watching uh, Terminator 2. I have a lot of work to do. And then he gets a lot more interesting after that. Uh, two pieces of media that Odo doesn't watch, Terminator 2 Judgment Day and any Fantastic Four. Yeah. Because he should be Mr. Fantasticking himself all over the station. Yeah, there's al always been times when somebody's like running away from him where he does not reach his arm out super far and grab them. And I'm like, why not? 
or like go into someone's mouth like <laughs> like he 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 like he reaches out out after someone running away and then like grabs them by the head and then like his fingers go into his mouth and nose yeah so you take someone down yeah like the uh, like that like that silver stuff in the matrix going down Keanu Reeves's throat right gross they do some cross-cutting back and forth between what's happening on the station and what's happening between Kira and Dax. And there's some, like... It's a real Bajoran Top Gun situation going on. Yeah, and like you said before, it definitely has Millennium Falcon feel, especially because Kira's the pilot and Dax is the gunner. Yeah. And they're they're sort of yelling at each other. They're giving them each other orders, and, and Dax is having a real hard time with these antiquated controls. Yeah, she doesn't like that there's no... Uh... There's no computer assisted targeting. It's really just, you know, aim and aim and pray kind of a situation. And uh and they managed to take out one of the one of the pursuing aircraft. But I don't think I don't think they they get away from the second one, right? They did the whole tuck your head in your arms and <laughs> and bend over situation, yeah. but Ben the inside of this shuttle looks really pointy. Yeah, like, they don't do it the It does not uh, look survivable. Like they're also not strapped in. Yeah. At all. And I wonder, like, this is really exotic headcanon here, but I wonder if <laughs> the ship has, like, inertial dampers and they're hoping that those inertial dampers will survive the crash. So from their subjective experience, the ship doesn't bounce around that much when they hit the ground. Like some race car style over the shoulder and around the hips, you know, cam locks. Right, I think I think would look just at home in this old jalopy shuttle. Yeah, and they should have put on a Hans device and and the whole thing. Right. Safety first, Kira and Dex. Yeah. So they crash, and we assume that they are dead, and we cut back to space station Deep Space Nine. Colonel Day is uh, going through Quark's bar with uh, with a bunch of uh, his security people, and. Uh, they discover that uh, one of the hollow suites is on, and they go in there, and then um, Cisco O'Brien and Lee Nallis are like standing around a table planning their next their next uh, secret attack. They're all just taking turns on Buck Bokai. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like even even in a time of crisis, you've got to release those those urges. So <laughs> the Bajoran security guys all like hut 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 into the room. And uh, say, you're done. Not seeing the super obvious trap that is about to uh, be sprung. The door slams shut. The holograms of Cisco, O'Brien, Lee Nellis, and Fuck Bokai disappear. And uh, they're trapped in there. Isn't the first rule of occupying enemy territory, like, never let the door close behind you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and Cisco gets on the radio and starts talking to Colonel Day, and he's like, "Hey, listen, uh, I'm the commander of the station, and uh, I know that you're here for reasons that you believe, but hear me out." The Cardassians are supplying the weapons for this crew. Ridiculous. So by being here, taking this over, you're actually helping the Cardassians, and I need you to get that information to the general because that is uh, going to affect the way he continues this operation. Colonel Dalek doesn't buy it. He's like, that is a Federation lie. And Cisco is like, well, nobody knows that it's the Cardassians because the Cardassians are using the Krasari to do this. So you get that information to your boss and we'll, we'll sort this out, buddy. Cisco has made the fatal flaw of, of not going to the top. Right. With his information. If he has the ability to open a communications channel to a hollow suite, one would assume that he could do so to ops. Maybe he doesn't connect to ops because ops could track him too easily and it's hard to it would be hard for them to track him from being trapped inside this hollow suite. <laughs> they should have turned off all the holograms of of them but left fuck Bokai up. <laughs> <laughs> Just gyrating. Fuck Bokai should have delivered the message on their behalf. Yeah. If you can read the inscription on my baseball bat, it'll tell you all you need to know. <laughs> Golden Cotton. The Golden Cotton. So, back in the Ace Garden Center, that is the surface of planet Bajor, and uh, Dax and Kira are uh, 
sneaking around in the dark. It looks like Kira's taken some damage in uh, in their crash landing, but Dax is A-OK. Yeah, Kira looks really fucked. She's in a lot of pain, like like eye-crossing amount of pain. Yeah, and she's like, she's kind of trying to talk Dax into the, like, you go on without me shit, but uh, they start to move, and Kira passes out, and they're, like, surrounded by by you know legs and voices so uh, again we have to assume after now that uh, we know that they didn't die in the thing that truly killed them now we have to assume that they are prisoners right it's so weird to get two straight like two straight basic fade outs on the same two characters right, that Im- that heavily imply that they're done for right yeah <laughs> Kira comes to in the bed of a Vedic Boreal, right? Yeah. Uh, her shoulder's been put back to normal. Her broken hip has been repaired, but it's sore. She which, was walking around on that thing, man. Which gives her a fun amount of, like, limp swagger the rest of the episode. Yeah. She's got great limp continuity. <laughs> I like that swagger. Dax walks in with a couple of uh, of matching Vedic robes, complete with the uh, Sydney Opera House headdress on, and she's like, "We got to go into that uh, religious chamber and deliver our proof. The time is now." And so they play a little dress up, and like Dax, this entire episode has been really put forward as like the quippy comic relief character. <laughs> And she kind of has been this whole season yeah. in a way that she wasn't really in season one. And I'm wondering if this is emblematic of of them just trying to figure out who she is. And by them, I mean the writers. Are the writers just trying to, fig- to, to distinguish her in some way? Because besides her being a trill, there really was not a ton of stuff for her to work with in season one as far as personality goes. Yeah, I agree. I feel like... Season one vastly underutilized the Dax resource in the way that, you know, I mean, we uh, we talk about the potted plant phenomenon on TNG with Beverly right. and Troy, and that has been less of an issue on Deep Space Nine because Kira is such a dynamic character. Right. But, uh, but Dax has definitely just been kind of sitting in the background and, you know being an object of affection for most of the male characters. Yeah, which is sort of, I mean, it's it's an unfortunate box to put her in. Right. Because, like, that doesn't allow her any character or agency of her own. It's just uh, who she is as a reflection of who sees her. There are so many interesting things that you can do with her, you know? Like we talked about before, she's a real Swiss army knife of a character. So maybe the maybe the quippiness is that. I mean, maybe maybe they just wanted her to be quippy in this arc. I guess we'll have to see if it continues for uh, the rest of the season and the series. Something to keep an eye on. So uh, into the Bajoran Senate, um, Kira and, and Dax walk, and the Bajoran Senate is a very small, unassuming room, which I like. It's like it is not a uh, is not like the uh, not like the House of Representatives in a even like a state. It's like worse than a worse than a city council meeting chamber in like a small municipality outside of Tucson. I really love that. Like at some point, I think it was in this episode, uh, a couple of Bajorans are talking about how you know. Bajor gave the galaxy, you know, art and architecture and, and like these <laughs> these things of great beauty. We gave but, it all away. We don't have any left for ourselves. Yeah, that's the part they didn't say. Like, there is no example of this in this episode at all. <laughs> like, all of the uh, all the Bajorans are wearing gray. They they convene in a gray conference room right. to, to, to plan the issues of the day for their government. Like... That's seen a lot of proof there. <laughs> so they have this evidence. They have the thumbprint of a Cardassian gull selling weapons to the Krasari that then wound up in the hands of the Circle. And Minister Jero's like, cool. <laughs> uh, I, I, if that if that evidence really exists, I'd love to see it. Sort of after Vedic win, 
took control of the of the of the moment. I assure you there's nothing to these accusations. Then you should have no objection to an inspection of this manifest minister. Yeah, she really throws him under the bus. Yeah, in and that was the the turn in the episode for me that really surprised was like, oh shit, well like Wynn has gotta know that that investigating this will reveal a possible collusion between he and Jero and the Cardassians. But if what she wants to do is really save her own ass, then she's got to be on team investigation first. Yeah. And that's critical because she makes Jero follow him into this line of thinking. Right. And that makes him look bad. Yeah. And uh, it's really just like she sees him going down and she is ready to step over his body to get to the top. Like she, she yeah. has no fucking use for somebody who is involved in a scandal right this scene ends with a great like you know kira staring at jero looking at him like like she knows she got some dead to rights and uh up on the station crim is uh confronts colonel day and uh and, and tells him you deliberately withheld information that was to be communicated to me and you fucked me, dude. Like, I'm I'm going to get fired over this because you were such a zealot that you didn't transmit critical information to me. It's such an interesting character arc for Krim because you don't really know anything about him except his reaction to news. Yeah. And he's such a professional the whole time that, like, it's so weird to feel... T- like this is a tragedy for him because you don't really know him at all. Yeah. But I truly felt awful for him that he's he's going down for this and it's not his fault. Yeah, and the colonel is such an in- interesting character too because it's not like like the colonel legitimately didn't believe Cisco and just thought it was, you know, psyops, thought it was thought Cisco was telling him something to throw him off the scent. And his silence could have been could could have been called like protecting Krim, right? Like, and and so he made a judgment call, and he, you know, had he had biases that made his judgment bad, right? Like it doesn't seem like he, like he's he's an overeager character, but he's not really a bad character. He's just he winds up fucking shit up for a lot of people because he's so overzealous. Krim comes down on Colonel Day pretty hard, but Day manages to suppress his feelings until he jerks a pistol out of a holster and fires at Cisco. And Lee Nallis, seeing this happen in slow motion, Goes full runs Eastwood. for the air ramp. <laughs> and he hits that air ramp and he takes the phaser bullet for him. Yeah. Lee Nallis, a forgotten figure, basically, the entire three-episode arc. Colonel Day could have uh, could have ended this episode, you know, having made a an understandable mistake. Instead, he kills the war hero of his people. <laughs> Colonel Day could have failed up and become the new general, basically, right. after Krim goes. Yeah. What is he thinking? What did you think of the uh, corduroy cat baskets these Bajoran commandos all had? I'm loving those baskets, Ben. Yeah. Big I time. like the idea of using corduroy in a cat basket. It's a nice soft material for a nice little kitty. Stylish and useful. <laughs> and uh, if you run the cords vertically, it allows for a nice slide of the uh, of the weapon out of the holster. Right. You don't want to get that uh, perpendicular cord, Ben. No. Then, you're, then it's sounding like a zipper when you pull out your... Uh, Very embarrassing to have a, yeah. a zipper sound when you pull your gun out. <laughs> You don't want to telegraph that sound to your assailant, <laughs> that's for sure. Hell no. And so uh, Lee Nellis dies a hero, and it's like the heroic death that um, that he, you know, never felt like he deserved. And never, you know, he never felt like he was a hero. Lee Nellis looks up at Ben Sisko and he's like, just do me one favor when I die. <laughs> Play that single brass instrument of my death. <laughs> Just goes like, I got you, buddy. <laughs> that they do. Morn, morn, morn. Dear, sweet, morn, morn, morn. You need everybody? Morn, stop. Hammer time.
the button on the episode is uh, Kira kind of mourning the death and then huffing off and O'Brien turning to Cisco and going like, but Lee Nellis was a little bitch. Why are we acting like he was a cool hero? He hardly did anything the last three episodes. Let's <laughs> just go going, listen, Chief, that dude is a symbol to a lot of people. And if anybody asks, I'm going to tell him he was the hero they believe he was. You like this episode, Ben? I did. Uh, I thought it was pretty fun. I don't know that this arc is like all that strong, but I think this is probably my favorite of the three parts. Uh, I liked the I liked the dog fighting sequences. Those were cool and fun, and it seemed like they actually did some cool special effects work, you know. And uh, overall, I uh, I enjoyed myself. I medium like the episode, and here's why. It feels like they forgot five minutes. Like, I don't necessarily want to see the conclusion for Day and General Kim. I want to be back. Uh, on the planet surface, seeing what happens to Jero. Yeah. Like, why isn't? Why don't we get to see him taken away in cuffs, or Vedic win? Uh, you know, pleading with Jero <laughs> to not say anything as he goes to prison about her. Yeah. Like, what is? Why don't we see any of that? Do we see it in the next episode, or do we see it many episodes in the future? That that feels totally unfinished to me. And that the last scene that we get is O'Brien and Cisco not talking about a failed coup on the planet and what the consequences of that are and are instead talking about lean Alice and whether or not he was a legend. <laughs> like, like there's something else that they should talk about also. I think it is weird. I was also really confused because it's kind of a secret that minister Jero is down with the circle at the beginning of the arc. And then the deep space nine gang learned that he is down with the circle but that doesn't seem to have any negative political impacts on him right it's just that the circle was getting their weapons from the Cardassians that's bad that you have to ask the question means that that there's something a little bit broken about this sequence of eps yeah I just don't I don't I don't get it um yeah. I, I must have missed something but but uh it uh I, I did feel myself scratching my head over that. RSVP Lean Alice. Yeah. We barely knew him. <laughs> they they didn't even try. <laughs> <laughs> he, maybe he didn't want to be known. Yeah. Uh, ben, do you want to see if anyone has Priority One messages they want known? Yeah, I do. I really do. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Emily. It is for Rickety Hat. The message goes like this, dear Rickety. As the Anna Cat's bachelorette approaches, I've decided to someday wed just so that I can have a Star Trek-themed bachelorette. Oh, I've just traded some scarves for Wes Hot American Summer shirts to sport on Falcon Mike's Adventure Bus. Cool. Let's party like it's 10 forward, and we have the pink and blue drinks of impending matrimony. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's rad. Emily's got everything covered. She's got the wardrobe. Yeah. She's got the party bus. She's got the pink and blue drinks. Yeah, she's I wanna... got the Wes Hot American Summer shirts. Thanks for buying shirts. I want to caution anyone participating in a bachelor or bachelorette party. Go easy on the pink and blue drinks. <laughs> One or two, and then mix in some waters or some buffer beers. Right. Uh, that is sufficient. You do not want to puke pink or blue. Or a combination of pink and blue, which I guess would be uh, purple. <laughs> yeah. That's your, that's your public service announcement. That's a, that's, that's a solid piece of advice, Adam. Our next Priority One message is from Juliet, and it is for Pops, Nick, and Brittany, and it goes like this. Pops, thank you for the memories of TNG and DS9 in the 80s and 90s. Miss you every day. You would have loved the greatest generation without shame. Nick and Brittany, 
Thanks for the introduction to this podcast. Love JJ, a.k.a. Kevin Oxbridge. P.S. I destroyed the Hoosnock. <laughs> yeah, give it up for Pops. Yeah, uh, RSVP Pops. Yeah. So so Juliet is claiming that she is Kevin Uxbridge, I take it. If I were a storage facility, I would I would see what Juliet has in her storage room. <laughs> yeah. That, that is where the real doll bodies are buried. Right. Well, if you'd like to send a priority one message, you can go to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron it's 100 bucks for a personal message and it's 200 bucks for a commercial message and it's a way to support the production of our show hey Adam what's that Ben? did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? drunk Shimoda! I could describe it but you could also watch it it's at about the 13 minute and 30 second mark it's where Lee Nallis is, uh, is telling the Bajorans who have swarmed the runabout pad to leave. Uh-huh. Uh, Lee, Lee Nallis is telling these Bajorans, he's like, look, we're Bajorans. We got to stick around and solve our own problems. We can't just run away. And uh, for some reason, Morn is there in the back. <laughs> yeah. Morn is there in the back, and he's trying to give his ticket to Lee Nallis. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Allen Shepard is the guy who plays Morn, and I really, I really dig his, his making, decision making. He, he makes as a background actor. He really makes choices. <laughs> I love this, and he's not making the choices that attract the eye. Like a bad background actor is calling attention to himself in a bad way. You don't want to do that, right? And Morn is like just truly confused about about who he needs to give his ticket to to get out. <laughs> he's clearly not Bajoran. Yeah, he's looking at Lee Nallis like, "Are you the conductor of the train here? Are you Are you going to take my ticket? Is, is this the guy?" <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if Morn is smart or dumb in this scene, or if he just doesn't understand the language that Lee Nallis is speaking. Because sometimes when you're in like you're in a train station in a foreign country, I could see giving your ticket to the wrong person. That's a thing that happens. <laughs> but like, I want I want more backstory as to why Morn thinks to do this. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, it's also just like a like a kind of a Shimoda like uh, shot framing because yeah. the whole thing is about how like we're Bajorans and this is a Bajoran station and we should not be running from other Bajorans and it's like Morn is like the only other thing in that frame. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. He does a great job. What about you, Ben? My Shimoda is Dax. Uh, when she and Kira run into the Senate, uh, Kira very dramatically takes off her Vedic robes to reveal her Bajoran militia uniform with dino damage TM underneath. And right. uh, Dax just made me laugh because Kira is like, is like trying to just kind of stream in there and dump the robes on the floor and get down to business. And Dax is like, getting like picking the robes up off the floor and like trying to fold them up <laughs> and it's just like i like that dax likes everything to be like neat and tidy while uh substantial political change is taking place sure i can get behind that yeah a good time so often has a downside doesn't it especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. 
But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, uh, what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Next episode, the, the is, arc is over, isn't it? The arc is over. The circle is broken. Uh, the next episode is season two, episode four: invasive procedures. The crew must fight for Jadzia's life when a desperate trill takes the group hostage and steals the deck symbiont. Like people who steal people's babies out of the womb. Oh, it sounds dark like that. Yeah, I, I don't know if I don't know if I've ever heard of that crime, but it, that is fucked up and dark, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I read about that every once in a while. It's no good. No, it's not what you want. Get your own baby. Well, that'll be the next episode, Adam. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. So we're on uh, we're on square number eight, Ben, and we've got a we've got a couple of landmines ahead. Why don't you roll the die and see? If we uh, if we hit them or we get past them, <laughs> here we go. I'm rolling, and I got a one, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Another one. Wow, we are moving right. forward at a slovenly pace. <laughs> really tiptoeing up to that Coco Nono square. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, another standard issue episode for us. Yeah. That'll be next week. Uh, in the meantime, we should let you know that the Max Fun Drive is coming up really soon, and uh, that is the best time of year to make your support for the show known. Uh, there's tons of prizes and uh, great gifts and things for people that donate, and we have a lot of cool stuff planned uh, just for Grace Gen viewers. So. Right. Uh, so get ready because uh, it's going to be a big push, and it's uh, it's going to be a big year for us. We are, um, you know, we spend more and more time on this project every week. It feels like, and uh, and more and more touring that we want to do too. Like, 
getting out there, right. seeing people, going away from home. So, and uh, we are uh, really excited to uh, to you know make as big a commitment to this as we can. So, uh, get ready. We're gonna need you. Meantime, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a nice review of the show. It's always a great way to get the word out to new viewers and uh, grow this big tent of people that think these jokes are silly and fun, too. Yeah, we're hearing all the time from people who uh, listen to the show all the way through and then listen to it again. Uh, that's a great review to leave, quite honestly, Yeah, I think. Uh, so if if you have yet to review the show and you've been through it once or twice... Uh, leave a message saying so and, and why you've chosen to do that. I think that uh, that's a pretty great review to read if, if someone's on the fence about thinking about joining this crew. Uh, we should thank Dark Material for our OG theme music and Adam Ragusea, who is remaking the theme music in his own design every day. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks to the folks at MaximumFun.org that do so much to help coordinate things and uh, make this show uh, get out to the most people it can. And uh, thanks to the viewers who made this a great 200 episodes. Uh, this has been so much fun to do for you guys. Yeah, it's been great. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine which struggles to pronounce the word ankylosaur. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.